podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kittramalides. Sid Lowe joins me as ever to look back at Match Day 19. Hello Sydney. Hello Philip, how are you? I'm okay. Have you recovered from going to Getafe on Saturday night <laughs> and watching a really poor game of football between oh. Getafe and Real Betis? It, it was genuinely really quite bad. Yeah, in a weekend in which you got a 0-0 draw between Real Madrid and Real Sociedad that was really good. You got a 1-0 win, one in the last minute by Valladolid against Valencia, which was really good. Two games that their scorelines might suggest they really weren't very good. So you think, well, maybe Getafe was a really good 1-0 with a late penalty. No, it wasn't. It was rubbish. It wasn't good at all, uh, but we won't dwell on it. Uh, <laughs> really Sydney's bad. Mentioned, Sydney's mentioned a couple of the results from a match day 19. Let's give you the full rundown on Friday. Almeria continued their really impressive home form. Six wins they've won in front of the uh, home fans this season. They beat, Alma, they beat Espanyol by three goals to one. That was the Friday night game. Then on Saturday, Really important and quite impressive victory for Cadiz. 2-0 at home to Mallorca. Mallorca never really in the game. Cadiz well worthy of the three points. Then Barcelona made the short, very short journey, 100 kilometres up the road uh, to Girona for a Catalan derby uh, to the Estadio Montilivi and they won 1-0. Third consecutive 1-0 victory for Barcelona in all competitions. Pedri scoring the only goal of the game. Uh, Sevilla beating Elche by three goals to nil. A much needed victory for Sevilla. Elche absolutely doing Doomed, uh, but Sevilla looking a little bit better. Then on Saturday night, as we said, the less said about this, the better. Betis beating Catafo by a goal to nil. A late penalty from Borja El Panda Iglesias, his first league goal uh, since the end of October. Uh, Sunday, Valladolid scoring that late, late goal against Valencia. Kyle Larin, for all of our Canadian listeners, what an impact on his debut. Coming off the bench, only played 15 minutes, but he was the match winner. Uh, Atletico Madrid going to El Sadar and beating Osasuna by a goal to nil. Saul Niguez <laughs> scoring the only goal. Saul Niguez. Two years since he scored for Atleti. Almost to the day. Uh, but yeah, a brilliantly, brilliantly taken goal uh, by the forgotten man to give Atletico Madrid the victory. Uh, Celta Vigo beating Atletico Madrid by, uh, sorry, Athletic Club by a goal to nil. Can you guess who scored for Celta Vigo? I think I might be able to. Uh, that man, Barry Aspas, his ninth of the season. Uh, really good uh, goal it was too. And a big win for Celta. And then as Sydney said, Real Madrid nil, uh, Real Sociedad nil. The scoreline not doing justice to what was a really highly entertaining game of football. A Monday night football is Villarreal against Raya Vallecano. Uh, we'll start with the brilliant Bernabeu stalemate between the two Reals, Real Madrid and La Real. Uh, Real Madrid, it's funny this, because Carlo Ancelotti was asked, was this one of your best performances of the season? And he said, yes. Yes, it was. Um, it was It was certainly uh, much, much better from Real Madrid. They had a lot of possession. They had a lot of shots. 20 shots, seven on target. And they forced Alex Ramiro into some really quite breathtaking saves. I think he made seven saves uh, in the game. They should have scored. They should potentially have won, but they didn't. It was it was a highly entertaining game. But yeah, slump, somewhat ironic that Real Madrid play so well and, and don't manage to win. Yeah, absolutely. You've come off the back of this recent run where... They haven't been very good, but they found a way through. Then they play really, really well and don't find a way through. I think, I think obviously, look, there's an underlying thing. And, and I think one of the things that I've liked about Ancelotti over the last couple of weeks is that it would be quite easy, I think, to cling to the comebacks and to talk about how, you know, we're pretty happy with the way things are going because we've shown the character to come back in these games and the quality in the second half. But Ancelotti, I think, has been 
realistic enough to see issues, to try and take action, to try and shift around the midfield, for example. Um, he was asked in midweek, uh, Martin Einstein on ESPN asked him after the game in the Copa del Rey, he said, look, do you sometimes stand on the touchline and think, well, it's okay because we'll find a way, you know, even if, mm-hmm. even if we're playing badly, that there's that sort of comfort that comes with knowing that there's always going to be a reaction. And he said, I stand on the touchline and think to myself, why don't we play better? Which, which I think actually is, is the way that a manager has to be. Um, obviously not overplaying it. And Ancelotti is a man who's brilliant at not overplaying things and, and understanding that, that there's a context to everything and that, and that you know, you don't necessarily need to be ranting and raving all the time. Uh, but I think there was an awareness to that. And, and that's why I think ultimately he'll be quite pleased with this. And he described himself as satisfied, didn't he? He said, hmm. he, said he wasn't pleased with the position. Uh, wasn't pleased with the fact that they're five points behind Barcelona. There was that nice line where he said, look, it's five points. And we're going to have to start running. Uh, you know, mm. running to catch up and also running on the pitch. I think it had a kind of a dual meaning. Um, he also said, and I admit this is partly because I asked him a bloody stupid question after the game. <laughs> but he, he also said, I said to him, was this one of those nil-nils that are actually quite fun? And he said, no, it's not fun. <laughs> uh, maybe not for a manager, but I think it was fun for the rest of us. That's the thing with these kind of uh, games. And I, I spend a lot of my time watching football matches with ex-footballers and, and managers as well. And managers tell me, for us, for coaches, these kind of games aren't fun. For you guys watching, it's great. For us, it's, mm. it's too wild. It's too open. We don't like these kind of games. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we did. I mean, the, the one thing is, I suppose, from, from, from Ancelotti's point of view, I, I don't know if he would necessarily think it was especially open. Although, um, I, I do want to fight. I do want to fight. Exactly. Well, here we come. I do want to fight Real Sociedad's corner. Because I do feel that Real Madrid played really, really well. And I think the best I've seen them play possibly this season, certainly since the since the World Cup. Um, but I think there's been a slight overplaying of it um, for obvious reasons, because we know that Real Madrid are the focus. We know that the context is that they've come from these games where they haven't played well, but they've won. And now they've played well and not won. But I think it's overplayed, actually, how well they played. Um, and actually, listening to the Real Sociedad players yesterday, they too were saying, look, Real Madrid had lots of chances. Alex Romero was our best player. We had to resist at times. But I thought this was a really good performance from Real Sociedad as well, particularly in the context of the injuries they've got, but also going away to the Bernabeu. And I thought they created three really good chances and actually could have won this game themselves. Hmm. They could have. We'll get on to La Real in just a second because there is much to discuss and a huge amount of merit in, in what they're doing and particularly what they did last night at the, Bernab- in the, at the yeah. Bernabeu. But just going back to, uh, to Real Madrid and uh, uh, Carlo Ancelotti not being... Uh, um, well, he was happy, but obviously being aware uh, that they are now five points behind uh, Barcelona. I don't know if you heard Thibaut Courtois post-match. Uh, he was um, very good, as he always is, speaking. And he left, yeah. a, he left a nice line with a bit of a... Bit of a scary smile actually when he said it and he was asked about being five points behind Barcelona and he said sometimes it's nice to be the chasers uh, which I thought was <laughs> sort of sinister undertones <laughs> particularly if I say it like that I mean he didn't say it in a sinister way but yeah um, was it was it quite it as, wasn't that creepy yeah. he definitely 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 didn't say it that creepy but I guess you know <laughs> you have to look at it uh, from from that perspective now from from Real Madrid that they've got to try and reel in Barcelona and I guess sometimes it is nice to be the chasers you see I was thinking I mean as you were saying that I was thinking this I was thinking that's probably true for Courtois. He probably hasn't been the chaser, has he? No, they chased they chased Atletico. Mm. Uh, what was it three years ago and didn't get there? But he probably hasn't been 
a chaser of Barcelona because, of course, that Barcelona team under Guardiola and then later, of course, under Luis Enrique mm. was a team that, that racked up pretty big leads and had Real Madrid trying to chase them and, and very rarely catching them. I think the only one where they caught them was the the, the season of the Tamil Tamil Dathaway. It can't be that long ago, can it? That that's the one time they caught them. There must be a more recent one. That's the only one I can think of anyway. Um, and, and, and so I suppose it probably is a new, a relatively new experience for him. Obviously, you'd still rather have the five points on the board, but I do think that Barcelona are going to be put under a lot of pressure between now and the end of the season. In fact, I don't know about you, but this, these two midweek fixtures, you, you, you feel like you know, they're strong enough games that, that something could change this midweek as well. Uh, you're referring to the uh, two fixtures that are taking place in midweek, the games involving the teams that play the Spanish Super Cup. So on Wednesday, we've got Betis against Barcelona. And Thursday, we've got Real Madrid against uh, Valencia. But uh, uh, more on that in just a second. Uh, a quick, uh, specific uh, analysis of a couple of performances. Yeah. Danny Ceballos started again and um, and played well. He's making a strong case for a new contract. And Eduardo Camavinga making a strong case for being Real Madrid's best left-back. Yes. Um, well, he, in my opinion, he is their best left-back. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I suppose the one problem with that is that he doesn't really play at left back. He's all over the place. He's I I, I love watching him play. There, there's so mm. much quality. He's got so much technical quality, but he also has this kind of I don't know whether to call it. It's almost puppy like his sort of enthusiasm. You know, he sort of seems to be everywhere. He seems to want to be involved in everything, and it's not just the mm. classic thing of a left back gets up and down the line. We know that that's what fullbacks do. There was a couple of times yesterday he was going up the pitch through the middle of the pitch as well, um, which I suppose yeah. is natural. And I suppose this, by the way, is one of the reasons why Ancelotti isn't that convinced that Camavinga is a is a midfield pivot. If you sort of mean uh, what, what's the what do we that is what we're starting to call it in English, isn't it? Yeah. That, that he's not that yeah. he's not that positional holding yeah, midfielder. He's not that positional midfielder. Yeah. Because that, because that mm. kind of enthusiasm or exuberance or whatever you want to call it means that he tends to go all over the place. And I think Ancelotti is still a little bit uneasy about that. And I think he sees in Charmeni someone who's maybe more willing to do the, the, the sort of the more traditional defensive stuff, more of a tackler, more of a break things down kind of player, maybe a bit, a bit more positional as well. Although I don't think he's entirely positional either. Um, but I feel like if they can find a way to find the balance with Camavinga, he's going to be a brilliant player coming from deep and doing a bit of everything. I guess there's a sort of parallel there, is there maybe with um, with Frankie de Jong? But, you know, we get this idea of them as a deep midfielder, but they're a deep midfielder who likes to go a lot and, and therefore maybe isn't always exactly where they should be positionally. And perhaps if there were two of them there, that would resolve part of that issue. Mm. Uh, Danny Ceballos in midfield. Are we going to see more of him and, and less of Luka Modric? Yes, yeah. Uh, yes, we are, um, and I think I think not just because I say so, uh, not just because we can look at the ages of the midfielders and say, look, they're getting on a bit now. Both Modric and uh, and and Cruz to a slightly lesser extent, obviously, because I think he's correct me if I'm wrong, but four years younger than Modric, or maybe three. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because, and this is the most important thing, and the thing that I I find most interesting about this, because Ancelotti is saying so publicly. Mm-hmm. You know, Ancelotti has talked before about maybe rotations, although not normally done them. He he has talked before about his admiration for Cruz Modric and Casemiro. Um, he has, I think by deed, if not by word, changed that up a little bit. We've talked about this before, about how that midfield has changed in the key Champions League games last year. But Ancelotti has never publicly talked about those moments when Cross and Modric aren't in the team as being part of something a little bit more permanent. Mm. And he's now talking about a transition publicly. 
mm. and talking about moving towards another midfield. And so I just wonder if the balance is shifting slightly. And he said something very interesting the other day about this idea of saying, we talked about this at the start of the season and I've asked the older players for understanding and the younger players for patience. And I think we will see a lot of it this year. Now, obviously, fundamentally what this allows him to do up to a point, because he's still got to manage the ego, he's still got to manage the status of the players, he's still got to be careful about how he does it, and he's brilliant as a man-manager, we all know that. I think what this is going to allow him to do, I think, I think, is pick on merit for the rest of the season and not have to worry quite so much about, uh, what do you call it in English, Galonis, um, status. Yes. Uh, not, not quite so much about, about what players have earned over the years, but what they're doing now. That said, I'd still think in the really big Champions League games... It's going to be emotionally quite difficult to leave out Grusha Modric. It is. It is. Um, we'll see uh, how far along that period of transition is. Uh, but yeah, Danny Ceballos is certainly making a case uh, for a, a starting berth in this uh, Real Madrid midfield. We've got to talk about La Real and what they achieved last night. Obviously, it's very good to go to the Bernabeu and keep a clean sheet. Not many teams do that at all. Not many teams do it when they're missing nine First team players, I actually think it's yeah. 10 if you count Martin Merkelanz, but anyway, he hasn't played for a long time. But let's say a huge amount of players uh, injured, some really important ones as well, not least David Silva and, and Mikel Marino. Then their right back, uh, who's actually not a right back, he's a centre back, but he's been playing right back this season. Aritzel Ustandu got injured. They had to uh, shift things around massively, move their centre back to right back, move the defensive midfielder back to centre back. They finished the game with a ludicrously young uh, midfield and they were still going for it Sid and they could still have got something out of this game and what they're doing this season just remains remarkable we've talked about them a lot we've praised them a lot but let's do it again because they keep going let's do it again absolutely completely agree with you let's do it again Um, one way of looking at this as you say the the number of players out but also the significance of them Um, so you're talking about Marino and Silva, who'd both started 15 games this season. Uh, and what are we in week... Uh, we, we were coming into week... 19. 19. Uh, both of them have had suspension, so that tells you how often they've chosen to, to play. By the end of the game, their normal four-man midfield, well, three of them are gone because Bryce had gone off. Um, Silva and Marino already not there. As you say, they've already had, they then had to make changes at right back. Um, Imanol admitted after the game. They fi- sorry, they finished the game. They finished the game. Sorry for interrupting. From, with Pablo Marin, Roberto Noma- Romaro, and John Olasagasti as their yeah. midfield. That was their midfield. Yes, exactly. Um, and and you know, add to that, you've got Takekuba, who's the other, if you like, sort of outstanding player of that midfield diamond. And he, Imanol admitted after the game, has basically not been able to train for the last three weeks. You know, he's he's doing mm. all he can to still be on his feet. You can then look at it from a numerical point of view, which I actually think is worth doing. Seven of the 11 starters are Cantarano, so youth team products at Real Sociedad. Ten of the 15 players who played are youth team products at Real Sociedad. It is just extraordinary. They keep bringing these people in and keep, keep giving them opportunities and they keep responding. And some of them through needs because of, because of injuries. But every time they, they respond, I, I think it's, I think it's, it, it's really just incredible what they're doing and they went to the Bernabeu and, and, and again let me make this point and I don't think they just resisted uh, it's true that Ramiro had to make a lot of saves it's true that even Real Sociedad's players after the game were saying look there were times when they dominated us there were times when we were struggling to come out but if you look at once they kind of overcome that first what is it 15 minutes roughly of the second half I then thought from then on they managed to more or less keep Real Madrid at arm's length that's not to say they were home and dry they absolutely weren't but more or less keep Real Madrid at arm's length. I think that Modric shot on 81 minutes is basically the last of the real chances Madrid have 
So you're talking about a final 12 or 13 minutes of them more or less uh, preventing Real Madrid from, from being in a position where, where, where it was clearly that they were going to score. I think you can add to that the fact that when they had to adapt, and this is one of the other things that's really interesting about Real Sociedad this year, is the adaptability. So they started the game, and I'm going to hold up my hands now, by the way, and, and say it's perfectly plausible that what I tell you now is conditioned by my perspective, and I mean my perspective in the most literal sense. We've talked about before mm. how you see certain things when you're pitch side. Now, I was in the end that Madrid were attacking in the first half and the end that Real Sociedad were attacking in the second half. So it's possible that that colours my interpretation. But let me try and give you my interpretation from there. The thing that really struck me in the first half is how willing Real Sociedad were to play the ball out from the back and take risks. To invite Real Madrid, not necessarily invite Real Madrid onto them, but to know that Madrid would come onto them and still play out. And by the way, at that point, I thought to myself, you know what, Ramiro is better with his feet than Unai Simón. You know, we talked so much about this Udai Simon role at Athletic, but in particular with the Spanish national team. And that really struck me. And then in the second half, I felt that Real Sociedad adapted to the fact they were put under a huge amount of pressure from Madrid from the last 15 minutes of the first half through into the first 15 or more of the second. And they started being able to play their way a little bit longer, but still play out. And it wasn't just hoof it long and run after it. It was, it was see and exit strategy. Now, under a lot of pressure and having to go longer much more often, but doing it. But then how much they managed to create on the break. So you have a Sorloth chance, which I watched it last night on the telly and it doesn't look as clear to me as a, on the pitch. And I thought it was a terrible miss, to be honest, the one he puts wide. I think he's, you know, I'm behind the goal. I can see the angle to the goal. I can see what the shot is. And, and, and mm. he slices it. You have a really, really good Takekubo chance when he does fantastically well on the right-hand side, comes inside and curls it, and Courtois makes the obligatory brilliant Courtois save. And then I actually think, you know, the one where Takekubo crashes into Courtois? Yes. That's, that's literally three or four metres in front of me. I know, I saw you. The f- oh, do actually, okay, well, that's kind of, uh, I don't know, fun, I suppose. Um, the first touch from Takekubo is really heavy. Yeah. A fraction lighter, and that is him with the ball at his feet, three yeah. yards from the goal line. There's also the chance that um, uh, the ball, early in the first half, the ball across the six-yard box, which Sorloth doesn't get onto. The, the, the Sorloth doesn't yeah. get to. And the, and, and the Iaramendi shot that flashes just past the yes. far post. So I, think, uh, I, so, I think, so I think that you've got those two chances in the first yeah. half when Real Sociedad, I think, are trying to take the game to Real Madrid. Sorry, had you mentioned three, that? No, no, but they were a different context. No, but they were a different context. And the context I was coming to was, and then in the second half, you get these chances where they're playing differently, but Mm. they still make chances. I I, I thought they were brilliant. I thought Take Kubabai was immense, despite being absolutely tiny. Did you hear his um, post-match interview? Sadly not, um, because he's, he's very, always very, very funny. Actually. Yeah, he's great. He was very in interesting, but not, yeah, not only was he entertaining, but he was he was um, he was uh, self critical. He said, "I um, I need to be scoring uh, to take myself into the uh, the well the the elite to take the next level up." Yes, I played well, but you know I didn't score, and uh, I really need to be scoring to be um, to be taking that next next step up. Which was you know to hear someone being like openly critical yeah. of themselves like that and and. and Wanting to improve, um, he's 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 hard on himself, but he was uh, he was very very good, very very good, I, I and I think he was, he was up brilliant. for it, yeah, because yeah, it was Real was. Madrid as well. Yeah, I think he probably yeah, was, he was um, and and he was flying into tackles, and he was making he was making himself available all the time for teammates who needed a, a, a ball out. He was dropping deep to try and help bring the ball from deeper. I I, I thought he was. I mean, I, I think I may have said this before. Uh, and if so, apologies, but it's no real harm in, in repeating it if I have. I was not that convinced by Takekubo. 
When mm. he was at Villarreal on loan with Unai Emery, I thought an enormous amount of noise was made by the Madrid media about how he wasn't playing and how they Villarreal were letting him down and how this wasn't what they expected when he went on loan. And, and obviously implicit in that is Villarreal are letting Real Madrid down. You know, as if Villarreal's role has to be to play for, on, on behalf of Real Madrid. Now, obviously, yes. I know that's partly about the conditioning factors of, 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 of how important Madrid and to a lesser extent Barcelona are to the media um, and so on. But I thought a huge amount was made of this kind of, this Takekubo case. <laughs> and I thought to myself endlessly... But this is nonsense. He's just not doing anything to make you think he should play. I can see mm. that there's flashes of brilliance there, but he's just not that special. And, and, and I'm, you know, and I'm now holding my hands and saying I was wrong, or I didn't see it, or maybe given continuity he would have been then, or maybe he wouldn't have been. Who knows? And the two loan periods at Mallorca, it's not like he was outrageously better than everyone else at that point. He was clearly mm. a really talented player, and and this has been brilliant. And actually, um, Imanol said something about this about two or three weeks ago. He was saying, what's the difference? He said, well, the difference is he's always been talented. And I think now we're surrounding him by the kind of players that he likes playing with. And what Take said after the, I think it's after the derby. Uh, we spoke to him after the derby with, with Atelli and he, he said something really interesting. He said, one of the nice things is that I can stay out of the way because I know that midfield is so talented. They never put a foot wrong that I don't need to go and look for the ball. They can bring it to me. <laughs> I know I can wait there and just be in the positions I need to be and they will bring it to me. Now, last, last night was different, partly maybe because that midfield was absent, but I think he's playing really well. He certainly is. All right, forgive us for dwelling on this game, but it was a really terrific game. Lots of things happened uh, and uh, it was worth us starting with that. By the way, if you haven't already, now is a great time to join us over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We're offering annual memberships. You get a 10% discount. You also get weekly Q&A and bonus pods. You can listen to us pick the top five upsets in Spanish football history in the latest episode of TSFP Presents. Plus you get Al's paper reviews and the TSFP Discord. All that and more at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It's around four euros or four dollars or four pounds a month. Come and join us. We'd love to have your company. Uh, Let's talk about the Catalan derby at Montelivi. A result which confirmed Barcelona, Sid, their 1-0 win, as winter champions. Yeah. I've been writing about this today, this concept of being winter champions. Mm -hmm. It's not really a huge deal. I mean, listen, obviously it's not a huge deal. It is is something. It's a concept here that does not exist in England, for example. The concept of winter champions, it, it does not exist. It basically means you're on the right track. Right. That's what, <laughs> yeah. that's what that's essentially what it means. Although statistically, if you go back and, and look, it also means that you've got a, a pretty good chance of being La Liga champions as well. Since three points for a win came into La Liga in the 95-96 season, Barcelona have been winter champions 13 times. And then 10 of those times they've gone on to, to win the league. So more often than not, they managed to see it out. Although perhaps this season... It's a little bit strange the way that they have been crowned winter champions with a, a third 1-0 win in a row and suffering a little bit, to use the word that Xavi repeated yeah. on the post-match press conference. We suffered, we suffered because we couldn't score the second goal and that means we are suffering at the end of games. He said games, plural, not yes. just the Girona one because they have suffered in the last few weeks. But there they are, Sid, five points clear at the top. Yeah, um, so there's a... There's a quote from Xavi back in October 
Um, our history says that you have to win and play well. A 1-0 is no use. Uh, to be fair to him, I've slightly butchered the quote there because he did say a 1-0 in the 90th minute is no use. And that's essentially what's happened now. I, I think, uh, uh, was it you or was it Al? One of you two very handily did the, um, did the history for us. It's, it's the first time since 1980 that they've uh, won 1-0 uh, three weeks in a row. It's actually three well, games I mean, in a row. In all yeah, it was Mr Chip who did it, not us. I uh, was it Mr Chip, well, it would have been, I yeah. suppose. Um, <laughs> three weeks in a row in terms of games, because of course they had the, the Copa del Rey game was the same scoreline, but it's also three in a row in, in La Liga. Um, it's curious this, isn't it? Because on one level, you think this is really good that Barcelona have this competitiveness, that they have this effectiveness that maybe they haven't always had before, that maybe in the past you could look at them and say, you know, they need to play well to win. They, they don't have maybe that that kind of, that little touch of something that, that other clubs, and in particular, of course, they're always measured against Real Madrid, tend to have. Although I'm not sure if that, that analysis has sometimes been warped a little bit by our kind of preconceptions of the two. I think that if you look at these last three games, obviously you have to put it in the context of the absence of Robert Lewandowski. But it is also true that there have been periods this season, the game that, of course, that really stands out for us, I think, is the Mallorca game, where Lewandowski has been the reason why they've won games 1-0, that they previously perhaps would not have won, where they've been effective in front of goal when they previously might not have been. Although Lewandowski does miss chances as well, but he scores a lot of goals from from not a huge amount. Um, and I, I think there will be a, a degree of concern. Let's go back to this, and we can we can draw the parallel with Real Madrid of, of Ancelotti in midweek saying, despite these comebacks, despite the fact that they were still in the league, despite the fact sorry in the cup, despite the fact that they they they'd won, for example, in Bilbao against Athletic without necessarily being hugely impressive that he was worried about the performances. And I think Xavi will be as well. That said, they've got there. Five points is a reasonably significant lead. Um, the worry, the other worry, of course, is the, is the injury of, of Dembele. Um, yes. Because he's been so central to what little they've created. Now, I sometimes wonder, and I don't know what you think about this, if Dembele playing well is partly a, almost a symptom, or maybe a, maybe not a symptom, but, but perhaps a byproduct of Barcelona not playing quite so well, if you see what I mean. That he's the player that's sort of non-systemic, if you see what I mean. And, and that, that mm. kind of... So when he plays well, it's because the game's loose and they need him to, because the rest of it maybe isn't functioning as well as that they would like it to. Yeah, I think there's something in that, isn't there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they're going to be without him for about four weeks, at least. Yeah. Uh, which seems like, like a pretty a severe blow, given he's in... Um, the best run of form since uh, since joining Barcelona. Yes. Uh, he went off and Pedri came on. Pedri thought he was going to get a, a break on um, on uh, Saturday. It didn't happen. And uh, he came on. He actually scored the goal. He was the match winner uh, yeah. once again, as he was last weekend against Getafe as well. He's their second top scorer with five goals uh, in, in La Liga this season. So he's chipping in with uh, goals, which is something I think Xavi has asked him to do. He's getting into the right areas, getting into the penalty area more and, uh, and helping out with goals. I mean... Barcelona hung on a little bit at the end. I think it was Ivan Martin who missed an absolute sitter from about four yards out uh, in the 88th minute. I mean, it's an unbelievable miss. But, you know, they're riding their luck. Am I being too harsh on them? They are riding their luck a little bit. No, no, I mean, yes and no. Um, So no, because the analysis has to go beyond the result. But maybe yes, in in, in that their results are really, really good. Defensively, their statistics are fantastic. And we've discussed before whether we think they're partly false or whether there's, you know, there's something shifting there, but there's also a goalkeeper who's playing brilliantly. 
Um, it's six goals conceded. Yeah, it's the lowest total of any team in any of the major European leagues in football. A, I was looking it's at a the, brilliant record. It is. I was looking at the expected goals allowed, and the expected goals allowed is around 14.6. Um, so they are you know, massively, massively uh, improving on, on their expected goals allowed, which means that there have been chances for opponents, but the unbelievably yeah. good goalkeeper has kept them out. On a basic level, basic analysis of those statistics. Um, yeah, well, you can, you, and you can apply that, for example, can't you, to Real Madrid, certainly in the Champions League last year with Courtois. A goalkeeper can help. A goalkeeper that's what they're there to do. That's Oh, yeah, but the goalkeeper's saving them. Well, that, you know, the goalkeeper's there to no, do that. No, but of course, that does have to be part of the analysis of the overall play, if you see what I mean. Yes. Um, because. Yes. Because there has to be something deeper than, than than just the result, because otherwise we'd be in a position where we could just say, "Well, here's the results, right? See you later, end of podcast." And we don't, no one wants that, do they, Phil? I mean, we could do that one week if you like. Just read out the results. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Here's the results. <laughs> here's bye the, bye. Here's the podcast. Bye bye. Uh, we, we 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 won't do that. We won't do that. But yeah, Barcelona winning uh, third one nil win in a row. Five points clear at the top of the table and winter champions. Let's see uh, if they will be summer champions as well. Winter Re- champions, just very briefly, just for our yeah. listeners who don't know, most of them will. It does matter a little bit because it's not just the halfway stage of the season. The way the Spanish league is structured, it's the halfway stage of the season. And you have, at that point, played everyone once. Yes. Yes. So it is a measure of your performances against everybody. Isn't that like that in every league? No, it's no, not. no, no, because no? the way, no, this, the, I mean, Spain used to do mirror images two halves of the season, yes. mirror images, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but other leagues, other leagues, you might play, say, for argument's sake, Liverpool twice in the first 12 or 13 weeks and then not face them again. Yeah, yeah. that can happen in other leagues, but it doesn't happen in Spain. I've been here too long, Sydney. I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting what happens elsewhere. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the relegation battle just to uh, tell you, you know, Sevilla won. Celta won, Valladolid won, Cadiz won. So not a good weekend for Catafe Espanyol. Or Valencia, uh, who are mm. in serious trouble. Elche are going down, obviously. It remains to be yeah. seen whether or not they get the lowest ever points tally in the history of La Liga, which is 13 points, Sporting Gijón, 97-98. I feel that that statistic will be repeated quite a lot between now and the end of the season. But it's going to be very, very tight to see who um, who, who joins them. Because if you look at the bottom of the table, Sydney, and I know you, you frequently do, uh, between yeah. G- G- Girona <laughs> in 12th and Cadiz in nine, and Getafe in 19th, there's four mm. points separating one, yeah. two, three, four, five, six, seven... Eight teams separated by four points. It's, um... Well, there's a great there's a great way of putting this. Well, maybe not a great way, but but a way that, that that tickled me slightly. I for the radio this week, I did the Cardiff game, which was the Saturday game at two o'clock against Mallorca. Um, Cardiff climbed out of the relegation zone five places. They climbed. By the end of the weekend, they climbed back four <laughs> and were back in the relegation zone. Yeah. They went up five and came back down four. Wow, that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, it just shows you just how tight it is uh, at the bottom of the table. Uh, you fear for um, fear for Getafe. I mean, I would, yes. If if you if you were that way inclined, you'd fear for them. You know. Um, well, yeah, you do. I mean, there's a little bit of me. At the weekend, they were they were they were chanting for the departure of um, Kike Sanchez Flores. Um, I'm just looking at Kike Sanchez Flores, and there was a little bit of me. I mean, partly because I like him, but also because because I think the the what he did last year in rescuing him was, was extraordinary. I think it's his third spell at the club and they've all been really, really beneficial to Getafe. There's a bit of me that felt it was a little bit 
unfair them chanting that, although it wasn't as, as strong as it had been in previous weeks. But there was another reason why I thought it was significant. As you look at the statistics, right, with, with Getafe, and all right, they're not playing particularly well. They've lost four in a row, but you ready for this? 1-0, 1-0, 2-1, 2-1, 1-0. That's the, their last five defeats. The two defeats before that, 1-0 against Real Madrid and 3-2 against Valladolid. So that is their last seven defeats, not one of them by more than one goal. And so there's a little me, bit me that thinks they're not that terrible. They're not very exciting, it's true. They don't always create chances, but they're not as awful as they look. And there's a bit of me that thinks it shouldn't take very much for things to slightly go in their favour. The trouble is, this is going on for a while now. Mm. That's the concern. Mm. Uh, real problems at Valencia as well. Gennaro Gattuso, um, not happy. The fans, not happy. And it seems like the same old story, Sid. The, the, the repeating the story, thing. yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, because he sounded very much like Bordelas and yes. Javi Gracia this week. He said he was asked about the transfer window and he says, I don't control the money or run the club. Uh, and then he was asked about his future and he said, I'll just have to accept what the club decides. That sounds a little bit like a man who thinks... It wouldn't be that bad a thing if they sacked me, so long as they paid me off. Uh, Osasuna beating, uh, sorry, Atletico Madrid beating Osasuna by a goal to nil. Pre-match, Simeone was very interesting, once again on his future, saying, my contract depends, as you know, on how we finish the season. We'll see what happens. I mean, it is really beginning to feel like this is, this is the end, doesn't it? Yes, uh, and also, um, we discussed this off air, me, you and Al, but he said, as you all know, my contract depends on how, we, how things end at the end of the season. I'm not sure that was ever actually public knowledge. Mm. And I thought it was quite interesting that he sort of put out there that we all know. Well, we do, and we've now had it confirmed. But it was curious. I don't think that was ever announced. Um, and you're right, he does sound a little bit like a manager. And then he said at the weekend, you know, people ask what the motivation is. Well, the motivation is you're playing for Atletico Madrid. And for as long as I'm here... That will be, you know, something that I impose and I demand of every player. And they played okay, but then they always do against Osasuna. He's got an amazing record against Osasuna. I think it's five wins in a row at El Sadar in La Liga, which no one in history's ever done. What? Really? Apparently, I saw a stat. Yeah, that's probably Mr. Chip, or I might have just made it up. But apparently, no one in history has gone to El Sadar five seasons in a row and won all five. Wow. I mean, I can sort of believe that, being, being El Sadar. Yeah, but, yeah, I can believe it, because, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. Yeah, I can def- definitely believe ah, so it. So, well done. Well done to Atletico uh, Madrid getting that, uh, getting that big win. All right, uh, before we go, and if there is anything that you want us to talk about and we haven't talked about it, send us a question and we'll answer it on tomorrow's Q&A podcast. Before we go, uh, quick mention of the Copa del Rey semi-final draw, which eventually... Pitted Real Madrid against Barcelona and also soon against Athletic Club. I can't believe a draw for a semi-final took 25 minutes. Just draw the four balls out. And anyway, uh, there yeah. we go. Uh, we, we don't... Also, also, not only that, but draw the four balls out. Draw them out together, right? So you draw out one team yeah. and then you draw out another team and those two teams play each yes. other. That's how a cup draw works. No, they draw out going, there's one home team. Draw another ball out. There's the other home team. What are you doing? So a lot of people thought Real Madrid were playing Osasuna. A lot of people well, did. One of, one of the two biggest sports newspapers in Spain, and I won't name them just to save their embarrassment, actually put that out as the fixtures. Yes. Yeah. With a little graphic and everything. So, and I understood why they fell for it, but oh, come on, lads. Yes. Um, 
it was uh, it was ass, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was ass. Okay. It was ass, uh, but they weren't the only ones. Uh, so yeah, we've got no, they were. We've got they two massive fixtures to look forward to at some point. We don't know exactly when these games are going to be played, and the Barcelona Real Madrid ones particularly problematic with fixture pile up. But we'll get there in the end at some point. It's amazing they didn't foresee it, isn't it? I mean, everyone knew this was going to happen. Yeah, they did. Yeah, but you know. It's just what happens, isn't it? Uh, right. Um, before we go, uh, the Segunda Las Palmas are top after they beat Wesco 1-0. Eibar are a point behind them. They drew 0-0 with Leganes. Levante are third. Uh, are 16 games unbeaten in the league. They beat Burgos. This week, we've got Betis against Barca on Wednesday. Real Madrid against Valencia on Thursday. Lots of football for us to look forward to and enjoy. And so make sure you're joining us over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP to get the full enjoyment out of Spanish football. And if you don't want to do that, it's all right. It's fine. I understand. We'll be here on Monday, next Monday, as always. Adios. Cheerio. Network.